I got ambushed by that ending of This Is Us this week. And I, I haven't really been watching that show, but I've watched it for the last two weeks, and we, we showed two clips from it these last two weeks. Because there's something in that that's universal to, to all of us. There are times when we have to look at our lives, all the seasons of our lives, and, and make sense out of it. And there, there are times when our lives sort of run together. The, the beginning moments seem now so close to the, to the middle moments or to the ending moments, and it, it just starts to seem like it's one expanse, it's one gigantic tapestry that God's been been weaving all of these years. And when, when this man says, you know, he made a lot of mistakes and he gets to that point, he says, but I like the person I was in the beginning and I like the person I was at the end. He's making a profound statement about God's grace in his life. And, and that, those pictures, those images are going to stay with me for a long time. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it's been one of my favorite passages for about 30 years now, is Hosea chapter 6. Let me read it to you. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, which has always been looked at as a, as a messianic prophecy. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Some, some amazing ideas there, some amazing images there. God has torn us. He will heal us. He has wounded us. He will bandage us. What's that? What's that all about? You know, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, where it starts out with that, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and it's just such an amazing moving out of the faith chapter of Hebrews 11 into this culmination of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But then there's a, there's a section in Hebrews 12 that is difficult because it talks about God hurting us. It talks about his discipline in our lives. It talks about how he will allow us hurt and he will allow us discipline so that we can be everything that he needs us to be, everything that we really should be. And so that, that theme all the way into the, the depths of the New Testament was right here in Hosea's words long, long ago, long before Jesus came. He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. 
And then I love, I love Isaiah 55. I love Isaiah 55 because it's, it's kind of like the other side of, of Hosea chapter 6. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And it's a commentary on everybody's life for all time. It's a commentary on our lives right now. It's a commentary on this generation where people work and they work and they work and really they're not sure what they're working for. It's, it's the, the middle of that, that old man's life where he liked the person at the beginning, he liked the person at the end, but in the middle, he, he, he made a lot of mistakes and he worked and he really didn't know what he was working for and it didn't satisfy and it never, never got there. And, and you've, got, you've got earnings, you've got resources and you, you put it out there and it, it doesn't bring you what you really need. Listen, listen to me. God says, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Verse three again, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So much of our lives is de- so much of our lives depends on just listening to him. And when we get going so fast, when we get moving at a, at a, at a rate where the, the speed of life just rocks us all the time, we don't listen very well. And, and where do we find those quiet moments? And Jesus wasn't just giving us a nice suggestion when he said, when you pray, go into your closet. Your Father who sees you in secret will hear you. He will, he will draw close to you, is what Jesus is, is saying in that, in that setting. Let the wicked forsake their ways, verse 7, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. So people that are thinking, I'm going I'm to hurt people. I'm going to be about destruction. That's the way to get attention. No. Let them turn to the Lord, and he'll have mercy on them. And to our God, he will freely pardon. For God forgives everybody. I I always love to say this, that when Jesus died on the cross, forgiveness went all the way back, all the way back to that moment in the Garden of Eden where we got off track. And it went all the way forward to right now. Went all the way forward to here. Everything is forgiven when we when we ask him for forgiveness. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
And those two verses, 8 and 9, we would do well to, to ponder. We would do well to let them surround us. For so often, you know, we, we try to figure everything out. You know, we are a figure-it-out kind of a generation. Uh, and there's things you have to figure out. I don't want to take anything away from that. But there are moments when God has you in a position where you can't figure things out. You might not be able to figure out your life or might not be, you know, might not be able to figure out something that's going on in, in business or something that's going on in a family relationship. And, and he wants full and total dependence and devotion for he wants to give wisdom and he wants you to, to find an answer. But sometimes he will, be, he will be patient with that. He will let you go for a while. And he lets you go for a while in the desert so that you will turn to him and you will know where your life really is and where your life is anchored and where your life is, is, truly, is truly being lived out as the, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush that will grow the juniper, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Notice that, that after the hard times, there's a, there's a turning away from the hard times to something that's a blessing, to something that is good. And, and maybe you didn't see it coming because you were stuck. Is that for you? This will be for the Lord's renown. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. It's a sign that God is always with us no matter what happens. God is always with us. In, in his book, Love Beyond Reason, John Orberg writes this passage about the desert. Over and over, it happens in the lives of those who seek God. Everybody is going to log sometime in the desert. The desert is the place where you did not want to go. It is not flowing with milk and honey. It is a dry and barren place. Life is bleak there. If you take faith in God seriously, you too will learn something of his roundabout ways. You will know times when your heart aches with hurt or loss. Times when you are fatigued and even sleep does not refresh you. Times when you long for a good thing, when your motives seem pure, when it seems like God could so easily answer your prayer, yet he does not. Times when life hardly seems worth the effort. Often the journey to the desert is triggered by some event. A relationship shatters. A child rebels. A prodigal son or daughter leaves your home and does not come back. You endure a financial disaster. You cherish a dream for years, looking forward to the day when it is going to come true. And then one day you realize not only has it not come true so far, but it is not going to happen. The dream dies. And so do you. But sometimes the desert seems to come for no discernible reason at all. 
And these times, even faith is hard. You pray, you pour your heart out to God, but there is no response, no sense of nearness. The Bible is no comfort. You are confused and you wonder why, but you receive no answer. It is your spirit, your soul that feels dry and barren. You are not just in the desert. The desert is in you. In the desert, all we have to cling to is the promise. God has not forgotten you. You have not been abandoned. He leads his children in roundabout ways. He is not in a hurry. God is at work in the roundabout way of the desert in ways we do not see and cannot understand. God's way is rarely the quickest way. It is seldom the easiest way, but it is always the best way. You know, when you become a Christian, I remember when I became a Christian, and everybody wants to tell you about all the the wonder of the Christian life and, and all the great stuff about the Christian life, and it's all true. It really is all true. And it was like I came out of darkness into the light the moment when I accepted Jesus Christ into my life as my personal Lord and Savior, which was in February of 1971. 46 years. 46 years. But after all the, you know, all the, the good stuff, nobody ever really pulls you aside and goes, Let me just give you a little heads up. There's going to be like some hard stuff. There's going to be times when you are going to move into a season of doubt. There's going to be times when you're going to feel crushed, when you're going to feel like your heart aching so badly, you feel like you're just not going to be able to take another step. You're going to have uh, moments when, when you question everything about following him as he leads you through a desert time and you are thirsty and you don't know what to do. Nobody pulls you over and gives you a heads up. But it's there. And when you hit it, you look around and, and you don't know what to do. And it seems like everybody who told you about the wonder of it all is gone. But it is a relational dimension of our lives. It's a relational dimension of our lives with him. Because he's doing something in the desert with us. It's a relational dimension in our lives together. There are relational deserts. There are financial deserts. There are professional career deserts. There are emotional family, medical, spiritual deserts. And in the end, we must discover how to redeem the desert time. So let me tell you the lessons from the desert. The first lesson is that the desert is a place of strengthening. The desert is a place of strengthening. It's a different kind of strengthening, and you're not going to know and understand it until you get there and you experience it. Nobody can, can explain it until you're there. About a week and a half ago, I drove to Duke Hospital to see a friend of mine. His name is Dan Sineski. And and there he is, Dan Strong. And he found out just a little while ago, not too long ago, that he has leukemia. Dan is is in his mid-50s. He came to Hampton Roads to take the command at the Little Creek Fort Story base. It's sort of called a joint expeditionary base now, I think. So he's the guy. He's at the top 
of, of the Fort Story deal, the Little Creek deal. He's, he's the head guy. And, and so it's this moment in his career that's just a great moment. And, and in the Navy, about 25 years and, and going strong. Started coming to Spring Branch, got to meet him. Not too long after he arrived, he was having back pain and struggling and, and couldn't figure it out. Went to see the doctor and they did some tests and, and, and the tests seemed like there was nothing major wrong. And then the doctor said, is there anything else? And he, he said, well, there's this one thing that I'm not sure about. And he, the doctor said, well, then I wanna do some other tests. And when they did the other tests, they found out that he had leukemia, a very rare and aggressive form. That if he hadn't been diagnosed back in September, October of last year, he wouldn't be around today. And so immediately he was at Portsmouth Naval, and and then you know early this year he went to to Duke, um, bone marrow transplant from his brother. And, and I, I was there with him for a couple of hours. And, and what most struck me about this desert of his life, he will be, he, he's, he's finished with his, with his career. He told me that, you know, he's, he's still in the Navy, and, but he'll be at some point medically retired and he's not going back. And it's, it's, that part is done. It, and it just came, like the Bible talks about a thief in the night, and it's not, a direct theological application, but it came like a thief in the night, boom, over into the desert. And this is what he said. The desert is a place straight. He says, we're going to see what God does from this. We're going to see what God does from this. That is a strengthening that you can't get until you are there. That is a humility and a passion for living the life God wants you to have that you can't get to until you are there. And I don't wish that for any of you, but if it happens, you have to find that strength in the desert that says, God, you're gonna do something in me out of this that's going to be good. Your strength will be my strength. The desert is a place of strengthening. The desert is a place of learning endurance. The desert is a place of learning endurance. Do you know this guy, Tim Tebow? Tim Tebow, like when, when he hit the news as, as a quarterback, two national championships, like I think he was the number one Heisman Trophy guy. Like, I just thought, this, if I could have been anybody, I would have been Tim Tebow, Christian guy. You know, let me be Tim Tebow, God. It's like, how come I couldn't be Tebow? And he got Tebow, got to be Tebow. Uh, you know, just big heart for Christ and, and amazing athlete. And if you know the story, he just bombed. You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't make it in the NFL. He writes, so what do you do when life shakes you? When your health fails, when you lose your job, when you get divorced, when your dream flops, when you make that one bad decision? What do you do when something has defined you, your entire life is gone? When your platform disappears, when your perfect family is torn apart? 
He says, I know failure is something that defines a lot of people. I could have easily allowed the lows in my life to influence my identity. I've failed a lot of people. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've thought the wrong things. I've wondered how God could even use me. But just as I try not to let the trophies, the wins, the awards, the magazine covers, or the accolades I've learned, I've earned and experienced define me, I also try not to let the bottom points of my life tell me who I am. I just know that God is on my side. And with him, all things are possible. The desert is a place of learning endurance. It's learning that no matter what happens, no matter what you thought your life was going to look like, and he thought his life was going to look amazing. I mean, he, he should have been the next Tom Brady guy. But endurance is something that carries you through. Endurance is something that leads you on. Endurance is something where, where you go, God, I know you have this plan for me, and I can just keep walking and I can keep walking because I know you are with me. His verse that he holds on to, actually, it's, I'm going to read two verses. It's verse 8 of Psalm 16. Verse 7 is, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. That's a beautiful verse when you think about you're, you're asleep and, and God's still working in your heart. To, to counsel you, to teach you. But here's, here's his verse that he holds on to. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So that's why he calls his book Shaken, discovering the, your true identity in the midst of life's storms. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Notice the word, I have set. Set. You had to do that. I have set. I have a focus. I put God there, right in front of me, so that I can endure, so that I can keep going. What do you have to, to endure right now? If you think about it, what are you enduring right now? And have you set God before you in that right now? So that every day when you wake up, the first thing you see is Jesus. The first thing you see is God. The first thing you're aware of is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And the world does not know about this. But God gives this to us as a great gift. The desert is a place of strengthening. It's a place of learning endurance. The desert is the place of God's love. It's a place of God's love. Let me tell you a little story. Back in the days when there actually were gas station attendants, do you remember that? Gas station attendants. Uh, if you don't remember, if you see the first edition of the Back to the Future movie, and he pulls the car pulls into the station, all these guys run out and they check the oil and they gas it up. Uh, I used to be a gas station attendant on the Garden State Parkway in New Jersey, uh, and. and gassed it up, did the oil, everything. Always got an extra commission if you could sell somebody a quart of oil, just so that you know. Uh, back in the days when there actually were gas station attendants, there was a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a service station to fill up. He said, fill it up to the older than usual attendant with a dirty baseball cap and walked inside to stretch his legs and buy a pack of gum. When he came out, 
he noticed his wife was engaged in deep discussion with the attendant. It turned out she knew him back in high school and had dated him a few times. The CEO got in the car and the two drove off in silence. He was feeling pretty good about himself, however, when he finally spoke. I bet I know what you're thinking, he said to his wife. I bet you were thinking you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a service station attendant. No, she replied. I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a service station attendant. And the simple point here is you are changed by love in the desert. You're changed by love in ways that you can never understand. God sees you in the fullness of time. You're never stuck. It seems like you're stuck. It seems like it's dry. It seems like, you know, you just, you can't even figure out where you're going. It seems like every day it looks the same. And God say, no, you're not really stuck because my love is doing something in you and through you. I see you the way I know you are going to be. I see you in, in the, through the lens of becoming. And if you could see what I see right now, you would be changed. And the desert is the place of hope and healing. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment but we must never lose infinite hope. Disappointment is finite. It happens in a finite world with the finite lives that we live. Yes, there will be disappointment. Yes, there will be moments when you hit the wall and then the wall just dissolves and all of a sudden you're in the desert and and you're in there for a while. But we can never lose infinite hope because God is always doing something about the future. God God sees everything in terms of the light of his kingdom, in terms of the light of his glory. I'm going to tell you a story right now, but I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to shorten it up. I'm I'm using this story at Easter, and I'm using it in a different way. But I'm just going to give you the, the little details of the story because I want to show you how, how God shows up and how we can always hope because of who he is. So you, if you come for Easter, you, you hear this. You go, oh, I heard that on February 26th. Yeah, you're going to hear that. All right, so I'm in, I'm in New York City a couple weeks ago, and Gail and I were going to go to a show. And one of the best ways to go to a show is to buy your tickets half price in Times Square. So I go to Times Square. And I find a show called The Bronx Tale, and I buy tickets half price, and I get great tickets. Second row, orchestra, center, half price. Really, it's going to be amazing. So got my tickets, stick them in my jacket. Right here, I got a zipper pocket, zip zip them up, and I go walking, and I talk to Gail. I got the tickets. We're going to see it. Show's at 7. Take a picture of the tickets and send it to me um, so that I know exactly where it is. So I, I, I do that. I stop at the corner of 7th Avenue uh, and 57th Street, which is where Carnegie Hall is, 
and, and I noticed that the door is open. I pushed on the door, the door is open. I walk into Carnegie Hall, beautiful big marble lobby, and I take out these tickets and I put them up here against a marble column like I'm, like I'm Picasso, you know, like I'm doing some amazing picture. And so I, I take the picture of the tickets, marble column, Carnegie Hall. I gather up my, my belongings and I, I head down the street. And uh, about an hour or two later, I'm at the theater. I stand in line from 8th Avenue, walking all the way up to the theater, get there. I'm there, she's not there yet. I say, I have to wait for my wife. They said, sir, please stand over there. I stand over there. And I'm just waiting, and I talk to her on the phone. I'm almost there, I'm almost there, I'm almost there. And so I'm waiting, it's about 10 minutes. Oh, the show's gonna start. I go, I better get my tickets out. I reach in my pocket, no tickets. The zipper on the inside pocket is not closed. I'm like, oh, this is, this is really bad, because if she shows up and there's no tickets, this isn't going to be good. So I go, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I think the only thing I can do, and I really hate to do this, because I stood in line, I got half a, I have to buy a whole new set of tickets. I got to go to the box office and buy two tickets at full price. They're not going to be center orchestra. I'll be in the nosebleed seats in the back. Can't even see the show. So, but I got to do this because she's going to be here any second. So I go over to the ticket window and I say to the gentleman, sir, a tragedy has happened. And I can't even explain. I got my tickets uh, at the t ticket place in Times Square and, and I was walking around and, and, and they must have fallen out of my pocket. The guy looks at me and he goes, where are you walking around? And I thought, this is a really strange question. Where are you walking around? Where are you walking around? And I thought about it for a minute, and I said, Carnegie Hall. He gets this little wry smile on his face. He reaches up, grabs my tickets, and hands them to me. Somebody found them. Out of 8 million people in New York, I found the right person. Or it was an angel. It's either one or the other, right? So we got my tickets in that lobby, all sitting there up against the marble column, and walked them 11 blocks and left them at the theater and said, hey, somebody's going to show up and be very perplexed about their tickets, and here they are. You can give them back to them. God is a God of hope in the middle of things that we think are hopeless. And that's just one little sliver. That's just, that's just tickets to a show in New York. He, he is showing up all the time with hope in our lives. We just have to keep looking for him. We just have to stay aware and stay focused because you will be in the desert. We will all be in the desert. And the lessons from the desert are, it's a place of strengthening. It's a place where we learn endurance. It's a place of God's love. He sees us the way we're supposed to be way down the road, and the desert is a place of hope and healing. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on, let us press on. Let us not just kick back for an easy journey. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn and he will come to us like the rain. 
like the spring rain watering the earth. And you might be in the desert right now, or you might be ready to go into the desert, and you don't even know it yet. And so this letter is for you. Dear friends, I know you so often live in the desert of the questions. Why did this happen? Why did my heart have to be broken? Why didn't I see it coming? What do I do now? Will I ever get over or beyond this? In the desert, I will walk with you. Sometimes there will be a holy emptiness where confusion, anger, and grief seem to inundate your soul. You will feel like you are choking on anxiety and gasping for sanity. I know those are the most difficult of days for you. I will walk with you through those days, and in our walking, we will come to another place. This will be the place of holy reasons. It doesn't exist on any map. It doesn't exist in your world. You only get there with me taking you. As you look at them, these reasons may often seem illogical and out of place. Some will seem to hurt and cause conflict. That will be because they were crafted in a place you haven't been to yet, a place where my perfect will knits all things together for good purposes that are always infused by holy reasons. In the place of holy reasons, I will whisper to you. You won't know when I will whisper, however, so you must always be listening quite carefully. It may be in the night just before you fall asleep when your weary heart is worn down from being so long in the place of questions. It may be in the middle of reading a passage of Scripture when a holy reason is gently spoken to your soul and you feel your mind overwhelmed by a flash of unexpected peace, or it may arrive surreptitiously in a dream, allowing entrance to a mysterious balm of holiness that begins to heal jagged grief or relational brokenness. I may even decide the best way to get it to you is through one who has been in the desert before and is now ready to share his or her holy reason with you. You must wait for the whisper. I will get it to you at the best time, which will knit all times together. You will never be the same after your deserts. Being the same is not the point. But you will always be stronger in an illogical way. Your strength will come from trusting what you cannot see and living for what you can only hope for. There isn't a logical reason for the desert, and that makes for difficult days. But a holy reason finds everything. My holy reason will find you. I will come like the spring rain, God. Dear Heavenly Father, when we, when we face the desert, when we face the, the difficult moments of just being so disoriented or so hurt or so confused or having to just slog through and endure things that we never thought we would have to endure, Father, we, we reach out for you. We want to set you before us. We want to live to hear your voice. We want to live to be embraced by amazing grace. So, Heavenly Father, we want to walk with you in our desert times. We want to be comforted by you and by your holy reasons in the desert times. Father, teach us the lessons and let us be sustained by your love and grace. 
For we ask this in your holy name, in Jesus' name. Amen.